Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey, everybody. Welcome to the P1440 inaugural event. This is the San Jose Invitational, and today we are doing our very first podcast, and today's guest is none other than... Brian McKenzie. He's an expert in human performance and movement. He's a best-selling author, former skater and punk rock kid, an all-around badass who's ran some seriously crazy endurance races and swam with great white sharks. And if that doesn't tell you everything that you need to know about him, I do not know what will. And so that is where I want to start, man. Like, why the hell did you go swimming with great white sharks? Uh, Understand fear. That's interesting. On, on a on a on an extreme level, obviously. And are you um, talking at like a physiological level? Every, so physiological. Um, I mean, for for the standpoint of diet of give, actually getting out of a cage with a great white shark, you're really looking at the psychology and the physiology of it. Like you're not thinking about mechanics, but the whole play on what we do and what I do is they're all, all three of these things are related. Whether we're talking about a mechanical, so position wise, way we're sitting, way we move. Or we're talking about a physiological response, your chemistry, so what's happening chemically with you, um, and then psychologically or your state, so what's going on in your brain. So I know that when you were doing it one time, you were with a couple guys that outwardly you said you couldn't tell they were freaking out, but all of a sudden the sharks started acting really erratic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's you picked that up. I'm glad you picked that. Hey, you you've been doing some homework. <laughs> I that was diving with uh, just like Galapagos sharks and stuff off of the coast of uh, Hawaii, um, which sharks are sharks, so you, you do need to be careful. But uh, sharks detect energy, and 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 they detect it very quickly. But we're not a we're not a we're not that much different as a species. Like you go home, you you see your wife, you see your kids, you see anybody. You pick up on a mood instantly, right? You understand these things, but we kind of forget about this stuff a lot, um, and we get enamored with it. But, you know, when we were with the sharks on that particular dive, a couple of my buddies started kind of freaking out. And instantly, we knew that because the behavior of the sharks became erratic. And it got erratic really quickly. And then the guy who was kind of leading the whole thing was like, hey, 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 let's chill out or let's get out. Yeah, hearing that story, so um, part of the reason I'm so interested in this is I've been invited to speak at a free diving camp. Yes. And I know what it is, but I've never done it, nothing even remotely close to it. And my greatest fear in the world, I'm not kidding, this is not hyperbole, like, have you seen the movie Open Water? No, no, but I know of it. It's loosely based on a true story about these two divers. They go on a boating trip. There's a whole bunch of people, and through a series of unfortunate events, they miscount on the return to the boat, and they don't realize that these two people are still left stranded out in the water. And 
the whole movie is basically about them slowly getting picked off by sharks. And literally, if you were to reach into my soul and pull out the thing that I am most afraid of in the world, it is that. So, but I have a rule in my life. I always move towards what scares me. Dad. And I told the people in my company that I would always do anything within my code of ethics to build the company. And so since this doesn't violate my code of ethics when I was invited, since it's a paying gig, I said, yes, I'll do it. Uh, and now I'm really staring down the barrel of jumping into the open water and just holding my breath for apparently a substantial amount of time. And the first thing that, that I started thinking about was sharks and shark attacks. So how, like just purely selfishly, how in that kind of environment where I know that psychologically I'm gonna be dealing with massive amounts of anxiety, what are the tools and techniques that I can use to really calm that down? Well, the fastest is your vision. Visually, if you, if you can see, your vision is the fastest thing you can get to change you can get to change something. So by that, like, look, we're, we're at a beach volleyball event. The only time you're seeing people stress out at a be on the beach is when they're playing like beach volleyball, right? Like they're in a, in a game. Yet typically on a beach, most people are very calm, serene. You see a sunset. This is a calm place. This is a mathematical equation. It's not a, like, it's a beautiful place. I get it. But the fact is, is when you're at the beach, you're on a peripheral vision visual uh, scene so you're seeing everything versus when I come in and I'm focused or I'm hyper focused on something I'm in a more sympathetic or I'm in a stress state so the fastest way is to stay peripheral and understand that versus getting hyper focused on something the second is and this is this is the stuff we're really studying right now is respiration is your direct link so breathing is your direct link to understanding your stress response doesn't matter what it is. We, we now know that there are respiration centers set up in the brain that cross paths with emotions, stress, um, work, meaning we're working out. Um, this is why when you work out, your respiration goes up, right? There's a demand for that because of work and, and CO2, but those cross paths with areas in the brain that are literally signaling to you in an unconscious level that you need to breathe. And so overriding these things then becomes if I actually cue into my vision and go, okay, I know I'm freaking out right now, but if I go peripheral or if I control my breathing right now and slow it down, I now have interrupted the physiological response to what's happening in my thinking. So now I've opened up an entire new world to play in and allow myself to develop a new memory. And when we, when we make a memory, it's something like I grab onto something, right? And then I have a response to it. And then I go and I get into, involved in something and I have a reaction to that. That memory gets locked on and there's a reaction set up with that. Well, the physiological reaction is what we're playing with is these types of tools, whether we're talking about a beach volleyball player at the professional level or whether I'm talking uh, an executive or I'm talking about a CrossFitter or I'm talking about a kid. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. When we start to learn how to interrupt these things and play with these things, we start to see different reactions and we start to see a new play that gets played into this thing. It's really interesting. I did not expect the answer to be vision. Um, I thought for sure you were going to say breathing, which of course in, in free diving is sort of the one tool that's being taken away from you because you're just holding mm -hmm. your breath. Um, but I don't know if there's um, slow release techniques or something. But before we get to that, so explain to me. I know that it, it's largely based on um, predator prey. So predators have the eyes in the front of their head. The prey have the peripheral vision. They can see all around them. What is it about going into the soft vision that's really pulling you into a different region of your brain? So think about prey, right? Most prey. They're all basically all of their eyes are on the sides of their heads, right? Predators actually, we're a predator. 
right? So where, where are our eyes fixated? They're kind of on the front, but we have the ability to be... So if I stick my hands up the side, I can see and I look forward enough, I can see my hands. I'm capable of... Predators are actually capable of doing both. Right. And where you have prey who are not capable of doing both, right? So they're kind of in this... Do like think of a cow, right? Sure, a cow can freak out, but they're largely a grazing animal. And this is stuff I've, you know, I've gotten from a, col a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman at uh, Stanford Medicine, who I've been working with for the last couple of years on this stuff. And this is stuff we've really been going into and connecting dots with the respiration control, which by and large, I feel the free diving community is probably the most underutilized sport in human performance meaning there's something that people aren't grabbing from that community that they could and extrapolate in their own sport or paradigm and what is that exactly uh, understanding respiration control they, they are uh free divers are incredibly efficient with oxygen and incredibly tolerant of co2 so when you go to speak you're going to be talking to a bunch of the most docile human beings that exist <laughs> on the planet. And, and that's what they're there to do because they go and they hold their breath for upwards of five minutes sometimes on a dive. And any sort of reaction to something means energy is created. And what happens if energy is created? I create, I create CO2 and water. And the only way for CO2 to get out of the system at that point become, well, the one of the major ways is respiration. So that trigger in my brain starts to go off, right? I got to breathe. I got to breathe. And we don't breathe because of oxygen. The only breath we take for oxygen is that first one when we come out of the womb. That is for oxygen. The Every single breath we take from, then, for, from that point forward becomes about management of CO2. Okay, so you're tripping me out right now. So I know when I was, um, the first time I got certified for CPR, it was like, you yeah. know, breathe five compressions, breathe five compressions, and repeat mm -hmm. forever. And now they tell you not to do the breath. So how is it possible that the only breath that we ever take that's really for oxygen is that first one? Is it truly that after that we're getting somehow the oxygen is into the system the other way or we have that little need? I mean, We're always pulling oxygen in. All right, so you're always going to pull in oxygen. Here's the thing is if the only – so oxygen has this – so your red blood cells are uh, – they're, they're red because of iron. And iron, the iron attracts oxygen to it. So we call this affinity. And affinity is the relationship with oxygen and a red blood cell. And it's almost like a magnet where it, oxygen just goes whoomp and it sucks onto it. Th that oxygen is not necessarily bioavailable. So in order for that to become bioavailable or usable in simple terms, meaning I, my, my muscles get to use it, my body gets to, my organs get to use it, right? I have to have enough acid in my blood in order to kick that oxygen off. And in order to do that, I've got to have the appropriate amount of CO2 in my blood. Unfortunately, from experience and watching enough you start to see how intolerant we are to co2 in the lungs and when we become co2 intolerant in the lungs we tend to over breathe and when we over breathe we blow co2 off and like i was saying about we always bring in o2 it's about how much of that o2 you're actually utilizing because if i exhale i'm also blowing x i'm also blowing out oxygen because I'm never absorbing, you're only absorbing like something like 
25% of the oxygen you're inhaling right now, right? So there's another 75% of that going in. And so it's how efficient am I at actually utilizing that and allowing my blood to have enough carbon dioxide in it in order to utilize that oxygen, in order to use that oxygen. And so the easiest way for me to explain that is this, there's this ancient tradition called yoga and people have been using it for thousands of years and they do it in a specific way that the rest of us, well, maybe even the people in yoga have never really picked up on, on, on everyday life. Well, if I am moving from position to position where I'm inhaling into a specific position and I'm exhaling into a specific position, you're going to watch the blood of people like that. You're going to see that these people can get very flexible very quickly and they de-stress. Why do people get so de-stressed from yoga? Yet it's a very stressful practice. It, it is. It's an extreme practice if you actually look at it. But they're actually getting their blood to the point to where they're releasing this oxygen. And so when we start to take another, you know, you've got another thing like you were, we were talking about freediving. Well, freediving is incorporating some principles that were set in yoga, and but they're taking it to extremes. And so when we start to pick these things up, we go, wait a second. If I've got an athlete who learns how to breathe a little bit more efficiently or just a regular Joe or an executive, I can actually alter how their efficiency with oxygen becomes and in essence, we're de-stressing them. I could, sh I could show you hundreds of people at this point who are stressed to the nines and their breathing patterns are terrible and their CO2 tolerance is indicative of that. They have a very low CO2 tolerance. So let's talk about that. So obviously you work a lot with um, just extremely elite athletes, but how do we apply that in terms of learning to understand our breathing, maybe take from um, you know, the free divers or certainly mm -hmm. from other groups of people to manage stress in our daily lives? Like what, what are the activities that we do, one, to just manage, and then two, to improve um, you know, our, either our ability to handle stress or our resilience against it? Yeah. The, I, I, have a, I, don't, I have a theory that if it works for the one percenter, it should work for the rest of the population. So if I've gotten an extremely elite athlete using it, that means regular Joe or Jane is going to actually excel even further with this. They're going to get more bang for their buck because we're talking about a one percenter, right? And yet at the one percent level, we're seeing extreme changes right now because of this this idea. The first thing is, is when you're not talking or eating, you should be breathing out of your nose. Tell me why. That's so interesting. Well, so your nose by design was built with your respiratory system. I've got hairs. I've got mucus. I've got sinuses. I, I've got this thing that allows me to clean the air. It, it's the first line of defense for my immune system. It humidifies the air and I emit a gas called nitric oxide, which actually dilates part of the, my uh, lungs in order to absorb more oxygen, right? And I can dilate things. I open them up. The problem is, is that we've gotten into a chronic state of stress. So we, we're, we tend to open our mouths more. When we work out, we don't understand this. This is why in yoga, they don't open their mouths much. It's usually all nasal breathing. They're controlling that vehicle of CO2 runoff, right? So the first thing is nasal breathing. It goes well beyond just nasal breathing, though, if I'm training, right? Like, I, like that's the biggest 
thing we see with anybody, even in the general population, is, oh my God, I'm nasal breathing and everything in my life is changing. I feel less stressed. And it's like, yes, but there's another level to this, right? And it's how you're actually controlling the air and using the air with that. That's the more complex stuff we don't need to worry about right now. Another easy thing. When you're walking, there's no reason why you can't hold your breath for a few steps and then take two or three breaths and then hold your breath again and then repeat that if you don't have anybody around you. So that's an actual controlling or teaching of your CO2 tolerance building effect, right? Um, and, and that's just something simple anybody can do. And that's stuff I'll do today with people is just some simple warm-up stuff. Like I was watching a lot of the players warm up and they do a lot of these routines and I watch this all the time. And we can literally almost cut warm-up times in half when we start playing with respiration control. Wow. You, 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 you take a breath cycle of like one breath every six seconds and I make you work and you're going to heat up and your body is going to start, you're going to start to sweat very quickly and it changes things very quickly so that we're getting actually primed up and ready and we're not having those lags in the pulmonary system that we typically will see with athletes where they're like i feel good at about 20 minutes in right and it's like yeah that's your pulmonary system catching up to your cardiorespiratory you know your cardio system and your muscular system it's so interesting listening to you talk you go um you really bring things in from a natural perspective from a you haven't said evolutionary perspective but i definitely feel that in there oh yeah um what's your leaning towards that how important is it to either return to nature forest bathe like all of that stuff how does that play into human performance um well we whether we like it or not we still function on the laws of nature and you know we've pretty much you know, altered, tried to alter a lot of that. So that when that stuff doesn't work out for us, you know, we typically get really upset about stuff. Um, but lean, like, look, you go, why is it if you go out on a hike or go, you know, go for a run in the woods or go for a mountain bike ride or whatever, everybody always feels better after something like that versus going in better than going into a gym and doing something right. And it doesn't mean don't go into the gym. I've got a gym. I work out in a gym. I do that all the time, but I also get outside a lot, right? Getting into the water, the ocean, um, all of these things, look at nature in itself. If you look at nature and you look at, um, you know, how animals function, the only reason most animals will breathe through their mouth is to offload heat. Okay. Racing horses do not open their mouths. Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah. They've also got nostrils this big. So when you tend to look at even from a, from a sociological perspective, like you look at cultures, um, you'll, you'll see like Africans who have larger nostrils and there's a reason for that because of where they've grown up and Part of their genealogy is the fact that they've needed to have more airway for them to get air in versus somebody who's got a narrower nose, um, you know, and where that Why? Why would that be true based on, is it the climate? Yeah. Climate, climate, heat, um, you know, the fact that they were, that uh, there's more hunter-gatherer that's going on there. Um, you're seeing people who are literally like, still hunting and gathering things right so we, we we tend to see a lot of this stuff but when you even look at nature like you look at a lion hunting that lion's mouth never opens that cheetah's mouth never opens until it goes for taking a bite 
It's really interesting. I've literally never thought about that. But yeah. as soon as you say that, you're right. Unless you see them panting or whatever. It's blowing off heat. So walk me through like thinking about things from a natural perspective. The average person listening to this, which by the way, this is the P1440 inaugural event here in San Jose. Um, and we're talking about how people get to this level. But I think that, like you said, if it works for that 1%, then it's going to work even better for everybody else. And so my question is... What does the like ideal behavior look like for the average person? They're not. They want to come watch P fourteen forty. They don't necessarily want yeah. to be competing. So, how do they structure their life? How often are they working out? Um, what does their eating look like? Are they meditating? Like, what is that the the thing for sort of maximum enjoyment, maybe longevity of the the normal human life? We'll call it. Um, I, I I mean I, I think you've got to move for at least an hour a day. Like move like, with intensity intensity non-intensity you've got to move for an hour a day you've got to varying that up is 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 a good thing go for a hike one day get in the gym another day like you got to move for at least an hour a day um if you're not moving for an hour a day or more um you're you're just not paying attention to your own biology we we are designed to move we are not designed to be sedentary um so the more we actually move and do things, the better off we actually get. Like that, that, that's first phase kind of health, right? And then once we've started to move more, it's like, hey, what are we, you know, how, how are we eating? That usually follows if I'm doing healthy things, healthy food, he- healthy choices tend to follow versus I'm going to eat really healthy, but I'm not going to do a whole lot outside of this, right? Um, you know, I, I think those play very critical roles but you know a lot of the stuff we're looking at is like how do we take somebody who's just doesn't who wants to get off the couch right um i I think this is you know where breathing actually does come in and what we're seeing with it and and this is what we see at the elite level is oxygen efficiency we're seeing people who are actually getting better mitochondrial function which is a basis for longevity and better life like quality of life the better your mitochondria function the better you live the healthier you are and regardless if you're an elite athlete or you're somebody who's getting off the couch or you're coming to just watch this event you know the p1440 event just learning to how to how to slow the breathing down a bit breathe through the nose more you're going to see very very big changes in a very short period of time um, at least from a calmer perspective if not some of the upper stuff we see are people's allergies disappear um you know the because you think about it like you have nothing in your mouth that buffers your immune system in any way shape or form so if i'm inhaling a bunch of stuff that's coming into my lungs that's not getting filtered right then how how more susceptible am i to something and then i've set off a reaction to my immune system in some awkward way right and i'm stressed out to say the least, you know, on another level, right? right? So that stress response along with something that comes in versus I've got a line of defense here so I can, I can change that. And I, if I can slow my breathing down, take five or 10 minutes out of your day to just do some slow controlled breathing or some sort of breath practice, and we've got a bunch of stuff on our website um, that'll help with that, um, that can inevitably change how you're responding to stress as a whole. And that inevitably leads to, hey, I want to move more. I feel better. Like if I get better mitochondrial function, my, my function, 
then I actually do want to do more. I feel more energy. I, I'm, I'm, I want to be more active. Because you're actually producing ATP at a more efficient rate? You got it. Yeah, that's something that's really interesting. So I get asked um, a lot, like, how I'm able to um, have high energy all the time. And my whole thing is diet, eating right, um, exercising, because of its impact on your mitochondria, because of your ability to generate ATP, um, what are some like real secrets that people can do? And I know you hate hacks, but like, what can people do that will allow them? Like, I don't think most people can really conceive of mitochondria and without really going into detail about them having their own genetic line. And I mean, it's really like it's like an alien living inside your body. And I don't think that people fully understand that or how to increase the just know, the just j- I just like to think of mitochondria as just a part of you because there's so they're they're the the most there's more. Tr- mitochondria in you than any other cell, right? So you've got trillions of these things. So they're just a part of you. So just think of it as something like that, right? So then how do you, what can you do specifically um, to increase their, their um, either the population so that you actually have more mitochondria or so that they're more efficient? A, learning to breathe better is, is key. So spending some time actually breathing so that you're actually slowing down your respiration. Because a higher respiration rate is, not, is me just blowing off CO2, which means I'm not actually utilizing oxygen, which means I'm not actually effectively using my fat-burning capacity with mitochondria, right? So slowing that down, that down enough or implementing that into if you do want to work out, here's a very easy way and healthy, safe way to start working out. Whatever you want to do, just shut your mouth and breathe through your nose and don't go any harder than it requires you to breathe through your nose. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100 
thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's interesting. Do you watch MMA? I do. I was watching I a work fight. With MMA okay, so I was watching a fight with George St. Pierre. Yes. And it was like a championship fight. It's like round four or five. The poor fucking guy. And he comes off the, uh, you know, out of the round, and he's in the corner. And oh god, what's his coach? Randy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. The guy training him, um, and he was rightfully out of breath, mm-hmm. and he was like, "George, you have to breathe through your nose." And I remember thinking, "Man, when I'm out of breath, I literally can't breathe through my nose," and I couldn't understand why he was trying to like get him to do that yeah um is that because he's trying to like pull him out of the the sympathetic nervous system because yes. the parasympathetic yeah and like so walk yes. us through that yeah so if you breathe through the nose you're actually stimulating your para- the parasympathetic branch of your vagus nerve all right so for people that aren't familiar with that what is that why does it matter your vagus nerve basically innervates all major organs and things in the body and it it's what's responsible for you chilling out, right? Um, largely and being able to digest, like so. Parasympathetic state is our rest, digest, reproduce state, right? right? This is the state that we actually want to be more over in. We're never just one. We're never just sympathetic, and we're never just parasympathetic. There's always a, you know, this this fluctuation. But we as human beings have become terrible at transitioning. And when I say transitioning, I mean going from a high sympathetic state into a parasympathetic state. So how quickly can I get you to recover, right? How fast can I get you to do that? And if I've actually got you nasal breathing, we know that you're creating a more parasympathetic dominance, which is allowing us to actually drop you out quicker and get you recovered quicker. So what George was doing, what they were asking George to do was get himself into a parasympathetic state as fast as he could. And, that, and this is exact stuff I've done, I've talked with fighters about all the time. Like, I just had a conversation with BJ Penn about this. Who wants to start fighting again? Really? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. How old is he? He's like my, he's like 43, or like 40 or something. But all I right. think it's jujitsu. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. Not, not that jujitsu is light on the body, but oh, uh, yeah. yeah. He's uh he's pretty extraordinary. His his own story is yeah really he incredible. he's yeah he's also very very curious. Like so he he came to one of the workshops I did and instantly just at the end of it came over and was like, this would work between rounds, wouldn't it? <laughs> I was like, yes, it would. Talk to me more about curiosity. So your own background is really interesting to me. So I want to talk about the. The growing up as a skater punk kid, being the first in your class to get tattoos before that was like a thing. Um, and then the the sort of rebellion that ends with you listening to classical music. It's a pretty fascinating story. Like it, what what drove you in the the pattern that led you here? Um, I it, it, it's curiosity. I think curiosity is probably the the cornerstone of anything that I do. 
um, regardless of what I'm doing. Um, you know, that drives where I start to get passion or find meaning in something. You know, now, is your curiosity driven by a desire to improve? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's not only improvement, but it's like, hey, how can we look at something? It's, it's almost like taking a painting or something and, and you've seen the same Mona Lisa forever, but like going and going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my stick on this, right? Like, and I think that's where I, I, I see creativity is, you know, you, you, you hear a song or, or here's a better analogy. It's like doing a cover song, like doing somebody's song, like you're redoing their song, right? To some degree. There's nothing really new in this world. Like there really isn't like the, the whole breathing thing. This isn't new. It, it, it's, but it's me picking up on some things and catching it and going, wait, wow, 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 this makes sense. Like, but how could we, t how could we look at it over here a little differently? And so you take something and you kind of change it. And I think in growing up skateboarding, um, I, I rebellion was my thing when I was very young. That was my way of getting attention. And skateboarding was a crime when I was young. <laughs> Therefore, skateboarding was something I liked to do. And the friends that did it were like, these were the people that I wanted to be around. You know, hence the tattoos and growing up in Orange County in the 80s when punk rock was alive and well. And, and that's where it literally, you know, was one of the epicenters of punk rock music. And, um, you know, I, I found something that I loved a lot and I found people who understood what I kind of understood to some degree but they were doing it very differently than everybody else and I think that is the essence of like when I see something and people have been doing something one single way I know there's other ways that it can be done and I know there's other ways of looking at it that doesn't mean the way I'm going to do it is better but it's something that drives me through that curious stage right and so you grow up listening to specific music, hanging out with specific people, and then you grow up a little bit and start to kind of evolve and meet new people and you get introduced to things. And so, you know, I, I mean, I inevitably was introduced to classical music and I was able to depict out of classical music what was happening in punk rock. And I was like, oh, I see the connection. Like, I totally understand that Bach was the, like, metal guy of <laughs> classical music. And, like, I get that. But at the, and, at, and at the time, Bach literally was the metal guy of, like, of, of classical music, you know, in his time. And it wasn't till like, after that time that it start, people started to open up about it, right? And, and so when we look at things like that, you look at history, history just repeats itself. It never doesn't repeat itself. And if you just pay attention to that, you can literally pick up on these things. Like, you know, Bach in classical music, was nobody, you know, they were totally anti whatever was going on at that time. And it was just too loud and too crazy at the time. And we look back on that from the punk movement. And it was like, everybody was like, oh, my God, no, skateboarding, no. And look at it now. And skateboarding is like an, inc an insane sport um, that has grown I mean, exponentially, um, you know, you've got professional athletes making hundreds of millions of dollars at it. Um, it's no longer a crime. Um, it's accepted to a large degree, uh, you know, so things change. And, you know, I, I, I want to be part of where 
that evolution of change happens and we start to open our eyes to other things. That's really interesting. So it like listening to you, it sounds like a lot of times you're trying to get to the the origin of something, the 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 real sort of root cause. Is that a intentional thing that you do to really try to understand something? I mean, from the nature stuff to, you know, really dissecting the origins of punk rock and, and you know, seeing all that stuff to come come together. Has that been uh, a methodology you employ on purpose? Yes. Y you nailed that. I, I really want to come to understand something, not just through a book. I want to come to understand it personally. Like, it, I want to feel what that is, and I want to understand that to that level. I mean, hence going and, like, spending the last six years in, like, breathing and like just sitting there and following rhythms and patterns and trying to understand what did what and you know how it could change and how it could morph and you know I did this with endurance training prior to that and you know how could we manipulate that and change that and you know I wrote a couple books on that and did fairly well with that and you know it's just for me it's I, I feel like I get to not only understand it but I can break it down to a more basic level so that we can communicate it so that people can actually grab onto it because breathing is a really hot thing right now. <laughs> and, but, but I've been part of that movement to where we've really made it accessible to a lot of people who weren't even looking at it and the people's lives that are changing as a result of that. Forget the elite athletes. I mean, that's fun right. and I love doing it, but I, I've worked with people who are dealing with, you know, major anxiety and depression and things that are real like life-changing things and it's altered how they are doing things now it's really incredible as somebody i've struggled profoundly with anxiety mm -hmm. and finding meditation um for me just breathing um you know like i don't use uh, transcendental meditation or anything like it's literally just breathing yeah getting a sense of my yeah. breath and finding that rhythm and uh, has been utterly transformative. So I totally get that. Sticking on the theme of origins for a second, you've yeah. said that um, that happiness is something that you were aggressively pursuing. What is the origin of happiness? And I, I'm sure that it it differs wildly from person to person. But for you, yeah, I you know I mean, I think pers the, my pursuit of happiness ended up with a fail um, that happiness isn't something that is really like we shouldn't always be happy that's like, interesting like we shouldn't that 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 that's that's just a that's an impossibility you know um especially in life and but that doesn't mean we can't be happy from time to time <laughs> i think joy is a very different thing and something that is very attainable for long term. And I think that when we can actually wrap our heads around something like that. Can you define the difference? Um, like happiness is a feeling and joy is a state. Like I can, we could be, I could be like when I go teach, I could get flustered or something, but because I'm, I, I have joy, I'm going to, in essence, be perfectly fine with getting flustered, right? Where happiness I'm, is a feeling and I've just lost that happiness and now I'm getting frustrated, right? right? Um, me being okay with being frustrated is a very different play than, you know, losing happiness and going, Fuck, where's happiness? Where's happiness? I need happiness. You know, um, I, I, that don't get me wrong. I think happiness is a great thing. <laughs> uh, it was just, I think me in, in the pursuit of something like that was, uh, 
I wasn't looking at the reality of it. And, you know, the reality is, I, like, I'm somebody who's dealt with anxiety as well. I mean, not massive levels of it, but, but I, I've really come to understand on a very, very deep level what anxiety is to me. And it's, it's basically a form, of, a form of hubris. Me thinking I can predict the future when I can't. Um, and I get into these, I'll get into these chronic things where I'm like, I'm spinning up about something going to happen. Right. And like, I used to hate flying years ago. Right. Like I have to fly all the time. Right. But I got over this fear a while ago, but that fear created anxiety. And when there was a bump in the plane, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> shit. oh my God, oh my God. Oh my. Yet if I were driving or I were in charge, I, you know, so there's a control issue and there's a predicting of the future, some hubris that's going on. Right. But the fact that I can understand that now, like if on, on, a, on a very calm level, I can understand that I can now take something like that, add breathing into something where I start to spin up or get on that, you know, past that level. And I, I can control everything on that. You know, I can control most aspects. Now, going and shark diving, I think, was getting out of a cage with a great white shark was the epitome of that. In, in, in trying to really understand what we have control over. And you do have control over it at the most extreme edges of what we understand. And a, a great white shark is a very different experience from a Galapagos shark. And, and a great white shark is like a, a dinosaur. And you know in an instant, based on what you've observed of it killing something and eating something, that you just do not stand a chance. So getting out of the cage, you're literally surrendering over your life. And you have to come to terms with the fact that if I behave like prey, I'll get treated like prey. If I don't, of which I've been watching guys for three days do this, they'll be perfectly fine and they're just curious animals. And they really are. They're just curious animals. And when you behave poorly, you get treated poorly. I've got to ask, what does it mean to behave poorly in front of a great white shark? You run. You, you turn and run. Swim away. Or you freeze. Really? So what do you do if you well, can't Well, th think about it. Like these are our two these that that's your sympathetic state. Is it is designed it's a survival state of I'm going into a flight or freeze state. Fight is actually a trained response. That's interesting. I've literally never heard somebody say that before. So are you saying in that moment we have to go into the trained response and be aggressive? Nope. You just basically keep it you, if you can stay calm, control your breathing, you can keep yourself a little bit more parasympathetic and understand that you're, you're in a situation that you have no control over. But you, what you do have control over is you. And when you, when you reach those conclusions and you want to put yourself in a situation like that, it's like jumping out of a plane or you know what, an extreme I, I don't think everybody needs to go to extremes to do that. Not, not in the slightest, but for me, it was really getting to a place to where, you know, I, I want to do this at the extreme level in order to understand how this affects somebody who doesn't want to get off the couch. How did you come to grips with that fear? So if you weren't one of the guys that were freaking out, was it a, a response that you trained yourself to have in preparation? Was it years of meditation? Like, what was it that allowed you to, at a physiological level, to be fine? I think... I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, I, if I'm in an, ex an extreme situation like that, I, I've kind of turned my life over. I, I've literally said, okay, I realize I'm, I'm in a very life or death situation. Now, that's a very hard thing for a lot of people to grasp, mm. but we all get into a vehicle every single day, basically, and vehicles kill people far 
more often than most of the things that are the extremes of what we're doing. And there are fewer people doing it, but the fact is, is you just have to come to the reality of like, what is life? Life exists because of death. And we are not, we don't have a choice when we're getting out of here. Most of us don't have a choice when we're leaving, right? So, and we don't know when that day is, when that hour is, or how it's going to happen. Yet, we manage ourselves in ways like we're protecting something that doesn't exist. And so it's kind of letting go of that aspect of things, which I think is freedom itself. Wow. All right. That was, that was some very heavy stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's intense. It's like, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're basically saying in order to achieve the state of chill that you need to survive the event, you literally have to accept that you might not survive the event and to be okay with that. Yeah. Well, if you don't want to get off of your couch, like you could die on that couch or you right. could get up off that couch and go see what's out beyond that couch and you could die out there too. But more than likely, you're going to see some things that, oh, that's a lot better than just sitting on the couch all day. Right. Right. Wow, man. I mean, look, it's one thing if somebody's saying that from like, oh, I go out and I hike. It's another when it's I have gone out and gone swimming with multiple types of sharks. It's uh, it's pretty intense. No, it's interesting. I'll, I'll definitely be thinking about that long after the podcast is over. Good. I want to talk to you about discomfort. Yes. What's the role of discomfort? Why should we care? Should we do it? Should we put ourselves in really uncomfortable situations? I don't know about really uncomfortable, but discomfort is uh, a solution. To what? Life. <laughs> Can you give me a little more yeah. color on that one? Um, nothing grows out of comfort. Okay. So change is an inevitability of life, regardless of what we do. But growth is actually a real th something that goes beyond change. Growth is actually something that occurs as a result of finding a, a path, a new path to something. And that has to happen through discomfort of some sort. That doesn't mean you need to be in pain. That doesn't mean, you know, but, but it might require a little work. Um, it's something and doing something that's an uncomfortable experience for you to find a new side to something, you know, like going and meeting somebody new or dating somebody or whatever like that, that it's not like there's a nervousness, there's an uncomfortability, but you're never going to know unless you actually step through something like that in order to do it. And that's no different for an athlete, right? If I've got an athlete who isn't functioning aerobically as well as I want them to, whether they're a beach volleyball player or whether they're a CrossFit athlete, it doesn't matter. They both need to function with high, they, they both need to function, have high level functioning aerobic capacity. They do. Um, can I, will I change their program for that? Can I do something to change that? Yes, I can. It's going to cause some discomfort, but it, it's going to get you something that will pay off when you go to compete and you play. Or is it somebody, you know, getting off the couch, right? Like, you know, there's gonna, like, we're going to need to do some breathing today. Damn it. Well, I don't want to. Well, but if I do it and I have, you know, you have the choice of, su there, there's a quote, I forget the guy's name. Um, but it's about suffering. We all suffer, but you have the choice of suffering through discipline or you have the choice of suffering through regret. And that is the choice. And I think it's really comes down to that and being able to put ourselves into situations that allow us for growth and for that to happen. 
And when that happens, that's when we see the biggest changes. Speaking of suffering, yeah, you've said that you believe that your wife, for all the people that you've worked with, your wife has an unparalleled ability to suffer. I'm positive of that. Talk to me about that and talk yeah. to me about its usefulness and talk to me about <laughs> can we train it? Like, can we get better at suffering? From a useful standpoint, it'll win you a few gold medals or a couple gold medals, a number of world championships. Um, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, she's a rower, if I'm not. She, yeah, she's a, she was a rower. She's retired now. Um, she she created a relationship with pain um, and, and and working. She was a rower, so she, it's a working sport. And rowing is an incredibly difficult or painful sport because it's a, it's a race that basically takes place for six to seven minutes, and so that's going as hard as you can for six to seven minutes. That is not fun at all. Yeah. Um, that's just painful. And, um, you know, she learned to get to a point to where when she got into pain, she was finally good with what she was doing. Mm. And so that <laughs> becomes something that allows for exponential growth. And she was the runt of a team. So she was the smallest person on the team and probably was never in jeopardy of losing her seat because of that relationship that she had. But she also, you know, was very open to change and doing things that weren't working. Um, she dealt with five broken ribs through her career, um, just through, you know, moving poorly. Um, things that we learned to change with her mechanically wow. um, that inevitably helped and was created a completely different experience from the 2008 to 2012 Olympics. Um, you know, and, and that is part of that as well. Um, she, sometimes it's not fun working out with somebody like that. Um, you know, because <laughs> every time you work out with your wife and she's willing to go through a brick wall and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> fucking go through a brick wall today. Like I don't need to win, you know? And it's like, she's going to win, you know, it, it, which is fine. Like I, I, trust me, I, I'm perfectly fine with my wife beating me at work. She's been doing it for probably six years at this point. So, um, you know, it, she doesn't win everything, but she wins a lot of things. And, and it's this, this ability allows for, I think, an openness that isn't necessarily always there, you know, but it, ha it also has a negative side to it, you know, cause you've got to sometimes not go through brick walls in order to s understand that hence broken ribs, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Do you know who Peter Atiyah is by any I chance? I do know who Peter Atiyah is. All right, super good dude. Love him to yeah. death. And he was saying that um, he was like basically most of the, I think in swimming anyway, most of like the just ultra endurance um, records are held by women. Mm -hmm. And somebody was asking him why. And he said because of their ability to suffer. And I thought that's so interesting. And my wife is an absolute beast i literally don't enjoy working out with her in the gym because she makes me feel so badly about myself yeah because she is just willing to go and go and go it's crazy there's also a physiological component women are women are are, are set up much differently in order to utilize fat interesting tell yeah. me more well from a physiological perspective they can they carry body fat very differently than men do and so that ability, especially in long distance swimming, plays itself out not only from like I'm burning fat, but buoyancy as well and how it holds the body in the water. But they also look, if you look at ultra marathoning, it is a very, very close relationship with men and women at the very top level. There's, there's not a lot of difference. And this is because of this ability to suffer. 
Um, I think the they're set up with pain much differently than men. Um, you know, especially the ability to give birth to a child. Um, you know, so it, it's just the ability to deal with pain in ways that we can't, and then the ability to physiologically burn fat and hold on to fat. That's very interesting. Yeah. All right, we're here at the P1440 event. 1440, the number of minutes that you have in a day, their slogan is live every minute. What is one thing that people could do to better live their time? Probably just do a little bit more breathing. Nice, simple, yeah. sweet, and to the point. Yeah. I do, like it. Do, just, just a little more breathing through the nose. Through the nose. Through the out nose. through the nose? Out through the nose. Yes. Okay. It's critical you breathe out of the nose, too. Um, you do not produce the gas, that gas I was talking about, nitric oxide. If through, You produce it through the exhale through the nose. All right. So it's picked back up on the inhale. I did not know that. That is very useful. Yeah. All right. You are full of amazingly useful information. You've put out a lot of cool content. Where can people consume that content online? Powerspeedendurance.com. Um, we have a incredible resources page set up for breathing and all the stuff I'm kind of getting into. Um, even some of the visual stuff is in there. Um, there's a lot, there's a breathing calculator on there. There's a breath assessment. If you want to go through that, we've actually got a breathing calculator app. Um, we've got an app that has a breathing calculator on it. Um, you do need to be a member of power speed endurance to get that, but, um, you could basically that whole process will set you up on breathing protocols and things that like we've done with Stanford, um, that will allow you to kind of get started with just a little bit more breathing. Just a little bit more. I love it. And I can change everything. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's certainly been massively impactful on me. So awesome. I totally it's get good to that. hear. Definitely. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us at the inaugural event for P1440, which is being put on by Kerry Walsh Jennings, the extraordinary multiple-time gold medalist at the Olympics in volleyball. She is absolutely extraordinary. They are putting on a world-class event. I'm literally looking around at it right now. It is unbelievable what these guys have put together. Uh, it is really extraordinary, and their mission is incredible. The kind of people that they're trying to bring together that um, are really going beyond the sport and into the lifestyle of just living a better life um, and, and coming together as an extraordinary group of people to make change in the world. It's really, really a beautiful experience. I hope that you guys will engage with it in a super deep way. And thank you so much to Brian McKenzie for joining us, for being the first guest. Absolutely amazing. Really appreciate all the wisdom that you shared with us. Guys, go out and breathe more, breathe better, live a better life, face those fears, all of that good stuff. Change your life, improve it. And I'm Tom Bilyeu. You can follow me at, at Tom Bilyeu across all the socials. And it has been an honor to be with you guys today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Peace out. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.